0: 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're ending chapter 13 today. So it's going to be verses 8 through 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through verses 13. Um, Last week, a little bit of recap here. Last week, Pastor Keith preached uh, on love, this definition of love that Paul gives. One of the things I wanted to briefly bring up again as a reminder that these, and, and Pastor Keith uh, brought this up at the beginning, that these are verbs, right? Yes. So, so these are actions, right? Love, love is, love I would say if I had to put it, is, is not only a gift we receive, but it's a gift we receive that we then put into action. Um, so love is something to act out. What we're going to be learning this morning is continuing this, this uh, thought process from Paul on love, that love is a gift, and it is a gift that is eternal. Love is a gift that's eternal even when all other gifts uh, come to an end. And we must receive this gift in order to use this gift. And so... Uh, I'm going to move quickly this morning just because of where we're already at with the time, but um, Paul is going to talk about love, this gift of love, in relation to maturity. And so what I want us to gather this morning, if if we're going to walk away with something, I want you to remember that the sanctified life, okay, the sanctified life is a life that grows in godly and biblical love. Okay, if you want to live a sanctified life, right, if you want your life to to become more godly, right, if you want to glorify, like the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If you want a life that looks like that, then it needs to grow in godly and biblical love. So let's stand for the reading of the word this morning. out of reverence uh, for God and his word. Paul says, Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like, like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning together that we can come and open your word and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use me as an instrument, God, but really it's your word that speaks here to change our hearts that we would come to a better understanding of how to live out this life um, of love, this gift of love that we have received from you, Lord, because you are love and you desire us as your adopted sons and daughters, and as your image bears to reflect that love to each other and to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So we're going to start uh, in verses 8 through 10. Paul says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away, for we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So Paul begins with this idea of love never fails. So Paul, continuing from his love description, these characteristics of love are eternal. They are without compromise. So because love love never fails, these verbs, right, that Paul had, had just been using to define love These verbs are, so to speak, they're they're eternal. They do not compromise. They are a reflection of who God is. The problem with the Corinthians is they are so focused on the temporal. They are so focused on the horizontal level, right? This is why they were abusing the gifts. This is why they were misusing them, and Paul had to confront them about this. And so Paul then is instead directing their focus. It's not that he's against those gifts. Clearly he's not, because he spends time talking about the beauty of those gifts, and he's going to do the same thing in uh, chapter 14 as well. And it's not that he's against those gifts, but what he's saying as he started verse 13, uh, chapter 13 with is, if you try to use these gifts without love as the foundation, then they will amount to nothing then if you try to use the gifts of God without the foundation of the gift of love, then your work is not eternal. Because it is only love and those actions that come from love that stand the test of time. And the reason why... Love is eternal and has this enduring quality, and the reason why it's the greatest gift is because it shares God's very nature. This is what 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God does not know God, for God is is love. All these other ministries, all these other gifts will cease, but love will remain into glory. So Paul says that prophecy is done away with, and tongues will cease, and knowledge will be done away with. So just real quick here, there's two different verbs being used. Uh, for, for prophecy and for knowledge, and you'll see your translation translates them differently, because for prophecy and for knowledge, there's uh, a verb being used. It's katargeo, and it's, it's used in a passive sense. But what's interesting is then you have this verb for tongues, and bear with me, I'll, I'll work this out for you, but it's used in a middle sense, in a middle voice. Okay, Now, we may read that and at first glance go, So what? But um, Paul is relating these to what he then says, uh, which is these things will be done, right, when the perfect comes. Tongues will cease. Knowledge and prophecy will be done away with. And he says because we have knowledge in part, right, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So these gifts are done in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Now, for the purposes of our sermon this morning, I had said that Paul is relating love to maturity in the Christian life. This word here for perfect uh, is, is really also the Greek word used for mature. So really what Paul's saying is, as the perfect comes, which I believe is the final day of judgment that Paul's talking about here, as this day of maturity comes, when we finally move from immaturity to some degree, right? In our sanctified life, we're, we're growing in maturity, but we'll never fully get there until, right, glorification. That's the day of judgment. That's the, the day of the Lord, and everything is made new, including us in our glorified state and so we move in maturity, but once this day of maturity finally comes, then these gifts will no longer be needed. We won't need to prophesy anymore. We won't need to uh, uh, exhort each other anymore. We won't need knowledge in the same sense anymore. Right? Because finally we will, we will see God in all his glory. Right? Our minds will be opened, our hearts will be opened. Now with tongues, the reason why I bring this up because in the, the reason why it's in the middle voice is because sometimes there's confusion on how tongues kind of relates to the, to, to these other gifts and um, we, we've talked about this quite a bit throughout uh, chapters 12 and 13 that I, I feel like I'm a little loud here. Am I loud out there or am I fine? Okay. All right. I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. Um, I don't like hearing myself. I think this is the problem. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so the reason why, and this is interesting, I just, you know, tongues was abused back in the early church. It, it's being abused by the Corinthian church as kind of this set aside for the extra spiritual. They're setting themselves apart from the rest of the body. And interestingly enough, that's kind of how it can be abused today as well. Um, we'll talk about this more in chapter 14. Uh, But I just find it interesting that Paul talks about uh, knowledge and prophecy being done away with when the perfect comes, but he doesn't mention tongues there. Instead, what he does is he uses tongues beforehand with a a, a different verb. It'll cease, it'll come to an end. And really, what it means is it'll bring itself to an end. And what I think Paul is getting at is that... um, you, you, you want to focus on these temporary gifts, right? He's saying to the Corinthians, you want to focus on these temporary gifts and if you do that, you're really missing the point. If it doesn't have this foundation of love because prophecy, when the, when the day of the Lord comes, prophecy will be done. We don't need you to prophesy anymore. And when the day of the Lord comes, knowledge in this sense of this idea of, of teaching, in some ways it'll be done. We don't, we, don't, we don't really need that anymore because we're going to have the Lord teaching us. Right, We're going to be in His presence, fully. But tongues, tongues, I believe, Paul is showing that they're this temporary gift that is used as a sign to unbelievers. This is what he says in, in chapter 14. And when they're used as a sign for unbelievers, once that is taken care of and done away with, then they're no longer needed. So I think Paul's, again, separating tongues, basically saying, look, don't get on your high horse, you who speak in tongues, because your gift fades out as it's no longer needed as well. So um, we don't want to focus on the temporary gifts at the expense of the eternal gift of love. This moves us into verse 11. Then Paul says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. So what does Paul mean by speaking, thinking, and reasoning like a child? Well, if we read chapter 13 close enough, we see that uh, really there's a paralleled structure in the text. And the parallel structure that we see with verse 11 is it connects us to what Paul was just saying earlier with these verbs of love in verses 4 and 5. So the focus is on maturing for Paul, right? We, we just, this is our kind of, this is our big idea, right? We, we want to see love in the context of maturing. So here Paul is talking about maturing from childish things to adult things. We want to mature from unloving to loving in the same way that a child matures from a boy to a man or a girl to a woman. Children have to be Trained to be loving. Young children. You know, I know this is contrary to popular opinion where a lot of people think that children are just born innocent and in these sweet little things, um, but the reality is is they're not innocent. They're, well, yeah, I mean, you get to a point where you recognize that as parents, I know this, but, um, but they are sinners yeah. and they need to be trained as well. One of the lies that I think our culture believes is that our children are these blank slates that only get corrupted uh, when they're introduced to the world. And so they go, this idea that they go from inherently loving and inherently good to this, who corrupted my baby? I'll be real with you here. You know who struggles with this the most? Moms. Moms. The dad struggles with passivity in his role. The mom struggles with deception. And yes, it's the same pitfalls as Adam and Eve in the garden. And it affects us in all our areas of life, including parenting. Moms especially tend to do this with their kids, probably more often than not their sons. Why? Because... Moms weren't meant to raise men on their own. Moms were designed to be nurturers. Dads were designed and created by God to lead the family where he takes responsibility for discipline and education and spiritual development. And the mother's role is to come alongside her husband as a helper and nurture those things and complement the father within the home. Now, why do I bring this up? because the majority of Christian families fail miserably at this. And the result is immature children who end up leaving the church. And then the response, ironically enough, is shocked parents. He was so loving, he was so good. What happened to him? Well, he was never trained in the home. He was never trained to be a man and she was never trained to be a woman of God. Children are not naturally blank slates of love and innocence. I never taught my children to lie, but they picked it up. I never taught my children to sneak. Kaji loves to sneak food. (laughs) If you guys know my son, he's a big eater. (laughs) I catch him, I have to... (laughs) But I didn't teach him to do that. He just decided to do it. Children are not naturally patient. They're not naturally kind. I know we may want to think they are, but you have to, I'm sorry, you have to realize this. Um, They're not patient. They're impatient. They're jealous. They're selfish. They don't like it when somebody else gets something that they want. In fact, most of the time, they don't even want it until somebody else has it. They're easily provoked. And yes, they're arrogant. They brag on themselves. And if you're a parent that's thinking, not my child, well, then you're not paying attention. Now, Paul uses this as an illustration for the Christian life. We can apply it to the family, and it should be. I didn't want to hide away from that because it is an illustration that belongs in the family. It needs to be talked about. But at the same time this is what happens in the christian life we move from unloving to loving as we move from immaturity to maturity does that make sense we move from unloving people to loving people as we move from children to adults in the faith So we need to put on the attributes of love, these verbs, these action verbs that Paul had mentioned. We move from unloving, um, and we need to be taught and trained how to do that. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he says, "When I, he, he's kind of quoting Paul here. He says, when I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. Now, what, what C.S. Lewis is getting at, and if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he's a, he was a um, philosopher, philosopher. And a theologian, he was a Christian, and he, he wrote the uh, You ever heard of the line, the witch in the wardrobe? The, the Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote those. Um, what he's talking about is this idea of putting away childish things does not, mean, does not mean becoming boring, it doesn't mean becoming stoic or emotionless, it doesn't mean losing your creativity or losing your imagination, it doesn't mean not having the ability to have emotions and, and, and uh, fellowship and it certainly doesn't mean losing the faith of a child either the movement from child to adult is maturing from selfish love or selfishness right this love of the world moving from that childish behavior into the divine and eternal love of god so you want to be a mature Man of God, you want to be a mature woman of God, then you need to put on love. And this is another point here that I think is important is it really shows that sin itself is childish, whereas love is mature. And so when we find sin in our lives, it signifies areas where we still need to grow up. It signifies areas where we still need to mature from childhood to adulthood, and again, we, we do this by putting on love, but um, you know, as we do this, as we put on love, as we mature in our faith from childhood to adulthood, then sin kind of becomes distasteful. The same way that there are certain childish behaviors that you've matured out of as you became an adult, hopefully, and you look back and say, you know, it just, it, it's distasteful. I have no interest in it. I don't want it. I used to eat ants as a kid. Okay, I grew up to a point where I said, you know what? I don't want to eat ants anymore. They don't taste very good. But that's the idea. Someone's listening to me. (laughs) Do I want to spend my marriage as an angry, impatient husband or father? No. No. That's distasteful. And as I grow in my love and put on love for my bride and for my children, then the immature husband and those actions hopefully to me becomes more and more distasteful. So what parents us then from spiritually childish to spiritually mature? Well, I'll be quick here, and then we'll get an application at the end, but we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be hearing from God directly from His Word, and we need to be with the body of Christ. I'll build on that more in a little bit, but just remember that. If we want to move from uh, childish to mature, right, in, in our love, then we need to be in the Word of God, and we need to be with the body of Christ. This takes us into verse 12, where Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So maturing love comes from a deeper relationship with God. Right now, we struggle with this maturing process. Amen? We, we, we recognize this in our lives. Sin doesn't always seem as distasteful as it should. It doesn't always seem as childish as it should, otherwise we wouldn't go back to it. And probably when we do go back to our sin and we repent, we recognize like, oh man, I, I, I don't want to be living in that anymore. But it's a struggle. This maturing process is a struggle because for now, as Paul says, we only see God in a mirror dimly. This is the idea that we're not getting a full reflection um, it doesn't mean that God uh, is withholding in the sense of we, we need more on this side of eternity. What Paul is saying is that um, right now, God has chosen to reveal certain elements of himself to us, but he has not revealed everything about himself to us. And right now, okay, the way that we interact with God is through the word and through prayer but there will be a day where we walk in the garden with God again. And that's the distinction that Paul's making. Right now, we only see God in a mirror dimly. And this means that we only know God in part right now. Now, God has revealed a lot about himself. Scripture tells us how creation proclaims the triune God, Scripture tells us that how we as humans image God. Scripture tells us how we can know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and be in fellowship with Him, but there will be a day when we see God face to face in all His glory. John tells us that no one has seen God in all His glory on this side of heaven. Moses only saw a glimpse. Isaiah and Ezekiel only saw visions. The disciples only got a taste. But when we enter into glory, we get the full meal. Can we turn me down a little bit? Even the angels, right? The cherubim and and seraphim in Isaiah 6, they cover their face before God. So for now, this maturing process comes from experiencing God through a mirror dimly as it reflects the glory of God and points to the day that we will experience Him in full. And so our taste of this now, the best way that God has designed for us as believers as the body of Christ to experience this and taste this today comes from the worship service. Let me tell you why. In the worship service is where we participate together in the experiences of the new heaven and the new earth. This is where we get a taste. I mean, did you hear the the chorus of the hallelujahs as the people were getting baptized in that video? Mm -hmm. I mean, I always, I told Michelle, every time I hear that song, I always have this vision of the chorus of all the saints throughout all eternity, shouting to God, hallelujah, hallelujah, as our Lord enters in. Well, where do we get to experience that now? The closest we get, the taste that we get of that now is in the worship service when we sing songs together to our Lord and to our King. When we worship together in song. Again, this is why it's important. Let me tell you something. If you don't sing on Sunday mornings, you will be singing. Okay, if you're not singing on Sunday mornings because you're worried about your voice, you're worried about somebody hearing you, you will be singing at the top of your lungs in eternity. So you best start now. (laughs) Otherwise, you're not tasting it. Taste it. It's good. (laughs) But this is where we come and we sing praises to God. This is where we come and we corporately speak to God in prayer. This is where we come and we hear God speak back to us through his word and through the sermon. This is where we feast with God when we take communion together. This is a foretaste of the final supper that we have with our God. And this is where we fellowship together as brothers and sisters. And this is where God commissions us back to work again until we come together for another Lord's Day. Now I say this, and I I, I say this, it's important. Because if you are refusing to participate in these things, if you're going to try to go off and be a Lone Ranger Christian, or you're going to be inconsistent in worshiping with the body of Christ, then the reality is is you're actually not experiencing God. And you will not mature. And the reason why this is, is, is not just because you have to be with other people in order to experience God. It's because if you aren't gathering with other people, you're living in disobedience to God. And in fact, most of the time what we see when people do this is they backslide, they become selfish, they become unloving, and they will build up idols and eventually they will be blind to it all. They quench the spirit. And the reason why that is is because it's, it comes from a refusing to look into the mirror, and if you won't mature by seeing God in a mirror dimly, then you won't be mature enough to see Him face to face. Paul then ends, he says, But now, faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So what's Paul's point here? Right? There are gifts from God which are temporary and essential for the purpose of the mission of the church. Faith is preached and and hope is for the future, but they will cease because when that which is believed and hoped for appear, we will no longer need them in the same way. But the gift that is eternal and foundational to all other gifts is love. Love is a gift from God that he pours out on his children, and it is by putting on love that we reflect God. God. Right, This gift of love from God makes us holy as he is holy. This gift of love from God makes us unified as God is united. And this gift of love makes us wise and discerning and, and, and good as God is. And we cannot put on this love until we receive it. So how do we receive his love? Because maybe some of you this morning... Recognize that you struggle with love in your life, but you want to be more loving, but there's a roadblock there. The first thing that needs to happen is that love of God needs to be received. And we receive it by responding to His grace and mercy poured out through Jesus Christ on the cross. The only way... To receive god 's love so that you can put on god 's love is to be born again. There are too many Christians that are trying to or professing Christians that are trying to white knuckle this kind of um, love that really is is not biblical love and The reason why this is a problem is because the core essential issue is that in order to act out godly and biblical love, we need to first have received godly divine love. And the only way that we can receive godly divine love is if we are born again and made new. So here's our application. Our now what? if you see areas of childishness in your life, you need to begin working on putting on the attributes of love. Christian, do not be distracted by the temporary. Stop running after childish things. Stop running after sinful things that will just waste our lives. These things will not last. And really, at, at best, it'll be wasted time. But at worst, they will grow into idols that will destroy us. Instead, mature in love. One of the practical ways to do that is read through 1 Corinthians again. Read those verbs and start start. Start acting out these verbs in every area of your life, even if you're starting in small ways. Do you find yourself as an unloving spouse in certain areas? Then start acting out these verbs in your marriage. Do you find yourself as an unloving friend or an unloving employee or employer? Do you find yourself... um, unloving while you're a resident at Wayside or unloving while you're a resident at Lifespring do you find yourself as an unloving roommate an unloving family member an unloving father or an unloving mother where you see those unloving areas in your life and we all have them but where you see the unloving areas in your life you need to start implementing these verbs from 1 Corinthians 13 how can I be more patient to my roommates? How can I be more patient to my friends? How can I be more kind to my wife? How can I be more patient with my husband? Start practicing these verbs and be praying to God as you seek to be loving and obedient to his will. And so this takes us to kind of what I was saying earlier, which is the ways that we do this is the means by which God works in our hearts and does this is by us being in his word and hearing from him, learning from his word, being a people of prayer, we need to speak with God and talk with God and hear from God and participating in the fellowship of the body of Christ. There is no substitute for these things. So if you want to grow in love and maturity, these things need to be consistent and deepening.